sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Happy Monday. The World Series is set, and it didn't come without any drama beforehand. Two game sevens to enjoy this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Plenty of football as well. We'll get to all that here on the show. I am Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizapia. It's a Monday edition of Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. You can follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. Joe, you can follow on Twitter at Joe Pizapia 17 Lots to dive into, Joe, this morning. A recap of a lot of the football action, of course. And then uh, we know the World Series is now set. Tampa Bay and Los Angeles going to battle it out for the 2020 title. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have seven games in this one, too. I got to say, the neutral site has given us some really good baseball. So it's never going to happen again. Probably, let's at least hope not, I guess, under these circumstances. But I, I can't believe here, two game sevens, they were very entertaining, both games. And, uh, of course, a great weekend of football, too. An incredibly fun game between the Houston Texans and the uh, Tennessee Titans, who are now undefeated. But they did lose a big piece on that offensive line, which we'll get to later in the show. However... It's fall, and you know what that means. It's Derrick Henry season. All right, let's get to it. The top headlines of the day, and the Dodgers, in what an incredible comeback they had in this series and in the game last night, down 3-1 in the series. Mookie Betts saves the day with a catch going over the wall for the second straight game. Cody Bellinger with a late home run. Julio Urias closes out the game, and it's going to be Dodgers-Rays in the World Series. Dodgers a pretty significant favorite as well. Tampa Bay wins the Battle of the Bays. The Buccaneers end up beating the Packers in pretty easy fashion. Green Bay went up early in this game, and then a couple of interceptions from Aaron Rodgers led to some scores for Tampa Bay, and they basically couldn't stop the Bucs on the air in the ground. And the Bucs got a very much-needed win, I would say, in this spot. As Joe mentioned, Derrick Henry with one of the huge games in the fantasy football season for sure, over 200 rushing yards, a lot of receiving yards as well, and, and got the game-winning touchdown. The Texans, a little bit questionable, some of the things that they did in this game. We'll get to that a little bit later, but Henry was the big star of the fantasy day for sure. The Jets were shut out, and now the only winless team in the NFL as the Dolphins took care of business against them. Tua got in the game as well. We'll hear from him later in the show. And the big upset of the day, without a doubt, not just covering, but winning outright. The Denver Broncos and Vic Fangio, he loves those field goals. Six field goals in an upset win at New England. And so, Joe, not every team that has a bye week, that has time off, ends up coming out of the gate good. Cam Newton back, team mostly healthy. And and for whatever reason, New England, I mean, that, that was not, not a surprise that they didn't cover a spread, but to lose the game outright to Denver, that was one of the bigger ones, I think, of the season. No, absolutely. And to lose at home is something uh, you don't see very often from any New England team. But look, this is a transition here. There's going to be ups and downs. I think we all realize that going into a season without Tom Brady, without the continuity they've had over the last 20 years. Continuity in the NFL is one of those things that you take for granted in certain organizations. I think Green Bay takes it for granted. I think uh, the Pittsburgh organization probably takes it for granted. They've had incredible continuity between quarterback and coaches over the last 20 plus years. 
And now it's a little bit of a change here with Cam Newton and some different things going on. And look, they don't have a lot of playmaking personnel. And I think in games like this, that's where it really hurts them. In games where they need somebody to step up, make a play at the running back position, at the wide receiver position, or at the tight end position even, they just don't have that kind of player outside of Cam Newton, who's the quarterback. But, you know, you need him to be running the offense. So you can't always count on him. I was shocked by Green Bay's performance against Tampa. Green Bay looked like such a good team coming out of the bye to undefeated I thought that they were going to win this football game and they did not. I mean, those picks, the pick six and then the interception right afterward really changed the dynamic of this game greatly. And Craig, I don't know about you, but I mean, that resurgence from Rob Gronkowski yesterday was kind of unbelievable as well. This was a, I don't want to say stunning victory here, but certainly I think a very surprising one because basically after that first quarter, it was all Tampa Bay and there was nothing Green Bay could really do about it. Yeah, the surprising uh, part of it was how the game unfolded, you're right, after Green Bay took the lead. I think going in, it was, a, it was more or less a pick em game, so anything could happen. Mm-hmm. But once Green Bay took a, a 10 nothing lead or whatever it was, yeah, at that point, I, I thought the Packers had a good shot to win. And and no, they, I mean, Rodgers, the pick six, and then gave it back immediately. The other problem was is that they just could not stop. Tampa Bay at all and and it was a little bizarre to see but nonetheless the Packers are not going to go 16 and 0 probably not 15 and 1 either and if there's a game to lose this is probably the one the Bucks did need it a little bit more they've been shaky up and down of course the previous game uh Brady you know didn't really know how many downs there were who knows if they would have won the game anyway but I think that that uh, definitely factored in as well and in terms of New England the, the good news for them is that Buffalo did lose last week, and I think mm-hmm. that they'll have to be doing a little scoreboard watching tonight. But the other team to keep an eye on, at least at this point, is Miami. Miami is playing yeah. a lot better, and, and they got these teams that they're playing on this last-play schedule that they're just taking care of one one after the next. So we'll see if Miami gets into the picture here. It could be a division of 9-7 and seven, or maybe even 10-6. and six. We'll just... Have to see. Uh, but also uh, really interesting for me, Joe, was the Major League Baseball postseason. And I think that as we come to a crescendo here tomorrow night, we're going to have the World Series between L.A. and Tampa Bay. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I think that, as you mentioned, I think that this could go the distance. I think that there's a chance that this thing could go six or seven games again. I don't think either team will dominate. And a fascinating polarization of two different organizations, right? One small market team built on grooming their own players, making really good trades, uh, getting rid of players at their peak, and then bringing in other young talent. Guys like Rosa Arena they brought in, guys like Meadows, guys like Glass now, right? All these teams uh, look to the Rays as kind of like that model small market organization. And then you have the big boys who are spending – $567 million or whatever the hell it is on Mookie Betts. And, you know, the Dodgers can go for mistakes. And, and it's so fascinating to watch these two teams square off. And I think it's cool in a way because you're getting the polar opposites of what Major League Baseball has to offer right now. Our fantasy standouts are coming up next from the NFL's Week 6 action and also from the National League Championship Series Game 7. Make sure you stay tuned. Sports Grid, Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We've got two Monday Night Football games. We'll have a preview coming up a little bit later in the show. Before we take a look forward, we got to take a look back as we do here on Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid. 
Craig Mish, Joe Pizapia, and let's take our first look into the fantasy standouts from week six, and they did not disappoint for sure. A very bizarre NFL schedule, to say the least, with most of the games happening in the early part of the day and only two in the afternoon. So it's pretty clear cut, I think, for the most part. Deshaun Watson, 28 of 37, 335 passing yards, 26 rushing yards, and four touchdowns. Just a fantasy monster. Doesn't make a difference who he is, where he is, who's playing with him. Always good. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, speaking of monsters, is this guy in the conversation now for MVP? Because certainly he's building that way. 364 Mm. passing yards, four touchdowns. One interception, he was great. Derrick Henry, over 200 rushing yards. He had a 95-yard rushing touchdown in this game. It's amazing how he could outrun these guys. Just crazy. Two receptions, 52 yards. He had a long reception at the end of the game. He also took a Wildcat touchdown to end up winning this game for Tennessee in overtime. Ronald Jones, over 100 yards rushing. Two receptions, eight receiving yards. He has two touchdowns as Jones works his way into the conversation of, I mean, at the very least, an RB2. Julio Jones, uh, along with Matt Ryan, we could have put Matt Ryan on here too. He had a really good game. Eight receptions, 137 yards, two touchdowns. And Justin Jefferson has been pretty inconsistent, but when he's good, he's great. Nine receptions, 166 receiving yards, and two touchdowns, albeit all in garbage time for the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, any big takeaways, Joe, from from any of the fantasy standouts from you today? Oh, definitely. Oh, look, Ronald Jones is working himself into that low-end RB1 conversation. This is the most significant performance of all of these guys uh, from Sunday because what this does is give you a couple good games in a row now of Ronald Jones in this offense solidifying himself as the guy. And with Leonard Fournette's injuries now, I mean, he is going to be a distant memory. And it's frustrating for all of us who have Leonard Fournette shares, but we have to live in that reality. And the reality is if you sold Leonard Fournette off that week two game, then you did okay. And if you bought Ronald Jones off that week two, you did okay also. So that was definitely the uh, the path to take. But uh, a really good performance here from Ronald Jones. And uh, he was another guy, too, we talked about uh, on the show on Friday in terms of value of 5,800 on FanDuel this week. He was an incredible return on investment. And look, what more can you say with Derrick Henry at this point? I mean, the one time when the game gets later and you get into that fourth quarter, the defenses just cannot keep up with him. They can't tackle him. They can't stop him. And he just literally runs away with games. It's incredible to watch. It was great to see him participate in the receiving end of things, too. That's something he doesn't usually get involved in the passing game that much. And you bring up a great point about Tannehill. I haven't thought about him as an MVP candidate, but I would say after this game, you're starting to build a little bit of a resume. He's probably not going to win that award because he doesn't have that big-time star power. But think about the career of Ryan Tannehill and that trajectory of a guy who just last year was a backup to Marcus Mariota to start the season. And now we're having the conversation. Is this guy in the conversation for MVP? That is staggering when you think of how different a year can change things. Because that's basically a year into the Ryan Tannehill, uh, I could say, you know, uh, era in Tennessee. Yeah. And, and I think that for me in particular with Henry, I mean, Henry's MVP is not himself. It's Tannehill. Because as soon as Tannehill came in, it freed everything up for him to be able to rush for 180 and 190 and 200 yards. And, and I think teams have to defend Tannehill and they have to defend A.J. Brown. And, and and so if this is the new Titans offense, all of a sudden, not only are they just playing well, they, they have to be in conversations for maybe even the Super Bowl at this point. Now, the defense is going to have to get better. It has not been great. Nah, that's the problem. Uh, but, they, yeah. but, they, but they definitely offensively have shown a lot for sure. And we'll see what happens moving forward. But they have played great football uh, unfortunately, if you backed Houston, you really deserve the win in that spot, and we'll talk about that mm. coming up a little bit later in the show. All right, over to the National League Championship Series. Let's take a look at who did what, the standouts from last night. 
Julio Urias, who came in out of the bullpen, did his best Charlie Morton impression from the left side through three innings and basically just didn't put anything on the board, let no one on base, and ended up picking up the win. Kenley Jansen was warming up in the ninth inning. There was just no reason to put him in, and they did not. The big blast offensively for L.A. was off the bat of Cody Bellinger, who delivered the game-winning shot in the seventh inning. And and really, at that point, the Braves uh, could not come back. They really never even had a chance uh, at that point. Kike Hernandez had a home run as well. Will Smith's had a nice series. He got a hit and drove in two uh, runs. And Dansby Swanson for the Braves is really one of the more unsung heroes for the Braves in the National League Championship Series. And, Joe, at least, you know, we've talked about the Dodgers quite a bit here. I think if you're the Braves, there's certainly going to be the narrative going around that Atlanta blew another lead, another Atlanta team that blew it. And that's fair. It, Atlanta's had their share of blowing leads through the years, whether it's the Hawks or the Falcons or the Braves, it just it has happened. It's undeniable. But for me personally, I don't think the Braves have anything to be ashamed about. They had a really great season. They took the Dodgers, the best team in baseball, all the way to the wire to the ninth inning and mm-hmm. lost by a run. So uh, for me, I think the Braves could literally be right back here again next year. Their young pitching has done well, provided that they keep that core intact. I mean, this is one of those where I think you just tip your cap and say better team won. That's it. I, I tend to agree with you. And they did it with a bunch of pitchers who were barely old enough to get a drink at a bar. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, those kids did a great job here uh, in this series of keeping this series close. So they deserve a lot of credit. So I don't look at this Braves team as a choke job at all. I really don't. And anyone who says that, I kind of disagree. And I understand it's easy to buy into that narrative because they've had bad stuff in the past where, you know, they kind of collapse a little bit in some big moments. But I, I didn't think that at all. I think this team was very competitive. And uh, look, they push it to the seventh game. Unfortunately, they came up short. I do think that Marcelo Azuna was very important to this team, and they have to really think about what they want to do here at free agency if they want to bring him back, because I think they should. And uh, to do post-mortem a little bit, too, you know, not just on the Braves, but also talk about that last series. Also, uh, Arosa Reina being LCS MVP as a rookie. Can we talk about that for a second, too? And we can talk about that Charlie Morton performance, which you kind of led in with. But you want to talk about incredible moments here, not just in this game on Sunday, but on Saturday night, too. Charlie Morton was just absolutely filthy. The guy was untouchable there. I really questioned whether or not they should take him out early in that game. I think he only had like 65 pitches. He was under 70. I remember when they took him out. I could not believe it. But hey, Kevin Cash knows what he's doing clearly. It worked out. Went to the bullpen. That's been their strong suit. But a Rosarena, a rookie winning LCS MVP. Craig, that has got to be uh, a real shock for everybody. And obviously, it's only good to make that stock go even higher going into 2021 in every single fantasy circle. Yeah, for sure he will. He just keeps moving up. I think that's where we're at. In terms of Morton, I I think there have been hitters in the past, Joe. There have been some hitters who kind of bloomed a little bit later, maybe took them five, six, seven, ten years. I think David Ortiz took many years until he became like a star with Boston. Remember, he had to get out of Minnesota to do that. I think you could find Nelson Cruz in that Mm -hmm. way, too. Adrian Beltre was good, and then he became great. But has have there been a lot of pitchers that just were nothing? forever and then became superstars in postseason games like charlie morton i mean that's got to be a really 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 short list i mean you know even when i'm just thinking about pitchers that kind of came out of nowhere later in their career we had that Cy young year from r.a dickey and then you know but that was short-lived but i mean it doesn't happen very often because usually pitchers it's it's something where the younger they are the, the harder they throw and the harder you throw sometimes you can get by on that but what's been so fascinating about this career too for charlie morton was he was never a big strikeout guy right he was a guy that when he's you know even his good days with the pirates was a ground ball pitcher and then he goes to houston and i think that's kind of the the fun circle of life here in this series is 
who's the guy that did it to you in the end? It's the guy you made. Charlie Morton was the guy that they made, and he turned him into something there in Houston, and it carried over the last two years in Tampa without a doubt. The guy's been tremendous, but he was never a strikeout pitcher. He was never overpowering. He's never a guy who went, oh, no, we got to face that guy in game seven. How is that going to work out? But I think it's kind of ironic that their undoing is the uh, monster that they created there a few years ago in Charlie Morton. But, man, I mean, that, that Tampa team just doesn't have any quit, and that's a tough spot for a team like that to, to blow a 3-0 lead and have enough guts to not die in that seventh game. I was very impressed with Tampa. There's no doubt about that. And I was impressed with Houston too. I think you would probably agree, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, Houston played very well. I don't, I don't think that they should be ashamed of anything in this case. And and it's crazy in terms of Morton, because at the end of last season, there was some thought that maybe the Rays wouldn't even pick up his deal and he would retire. And, and the same thing would go, I mean, he's a free agent again. And I think that he, he's wanted to retire like three or four different times, but I'm not really sure what his plan you know, will one be. Guy, he could take another one-year deal if he wanted Dave to. Dave Stewart. Or, Dave Stewart was a late bloomer for the A's. You know, he was never a great pitcher there with the Phillies. He bounced around a little bit with the Dodgers and Phillies. He really found himself later in life within his yeah. 30s with the A's. That's another guy you could probably yeah, put in that mix. Good one, too. Yep, for sure. Uh, Rich Hill as well. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll have our fantasy standouts from the Titans and Texans next right here on Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you missed any of Sunday's fantasy football action, this show is for you. You're in luck. We review all of the players who performed at a high and low level from Sunday's games. We go through them one by one. Sometimes we'll skip a game or two because, you know, honestly, there wasn't really a lot to talk about. But we try to go through as many as we can. So without further ado, let's lead off, Joe, with the Tennessee Titans and Houston Texans in a game that was wildly competitive and went right down to the wire as Ryan Tannehill threw for 364 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception. As we mentioned, Derrick Henry, over 200 rushing yards and over 40 fantasy points. I went against Derrick Henry, literally have a shot to win. Who would thought? Who would have thought that? Uh, but I can win a game this week going against Derrick Henry. I'm going to need a lot, but not impossible. A.J. Brown, two touchdowns, five receptions, 56 yards. He is gaining steam, and Adam Humphreys was back. Also caught a touchdown pass, six catches, 64 for him. And Anthony uh, Ferkser, eight receptions, 113 yards, and a touchdown on the side of the Titans as they continue to score points in bunches and they continue to basically be matchup proof at this point offensively. We've spent some time on Tennessee, so let's go over to Houston here for a minute and look at Deshaun Watson, who was 28 of 37, 335 passing yards, 26 rushing yards, and four touchdowns. David Johnson saved his day with a receiving touchdown but only caught uh, 12 yards and rushed for uh, 57 yards on 19 carries. Will Fuller had many opportunities in this game, sort of made the most of them, six for 123 and a touchdown, can't complain there. Brandon Cooks now heavily involved in that offense, took him a few games, but not many receivers have been better the last couple of weeks. Nine receptions, 68 yards and a touchdown. And then Darren Fells, six receptions, 85 yards, a short touchdown from Deshaun Watson. But Joe, in watching this game and looking at kind of how it played out, and there are a lot of people who are coming to the defense of Romeo Cornell today. So I suppose let's let's talk about this here for a minute. Where basically, if Romeo Cornell, very late in the game with under four minutes left, would have kicked, kicked an extra point, 
Houston would have went up eight points with four minutes left. Instead, he goes for two and misses it. And then, of course, Houston comes down, scores a touchdown. They go into overtime. The second Tennessee gets the ball, they drive right down the field and score. Mm -hmm. So one school of thought says basically he shouldn't have gone for two and made Tennessee not only score the touchdown and go for two. The other is is that Houston's defense is, if not the worst in the NFL, they're pretty close. They give up 600 Mm -hmm. defensive yards, which was the most in any game in the NFL this season. So um, which one is it? Was Cornell wrong for going for two, or was he right? I mean, I feel like he was wrong. I feel like you all I, – I mean, I've just never seen that happen in any NFL game before with a, with a coach trying to go up nine. Never seen that. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I kind of agree with you with this. I, I would make the team get the two-point conversion. When you look at what's going on here in the NFL the last couple of years in terms of percentages of making two-point conversions, they're not great. So uh, I, I would definitely try to make that happen. I kind of agree with you there. And, you know, I understand the thought process of your Romeo Cornell. You're playing with house money. You, you know, you're trying to, you're coming off a victory. You're trying to make it two in a row. You're trying to just play with house money a little bit and get something going here and some momentum. But I don't know. It's tough. And everything you need to know about this game came in the coin toss in overtime because the reaction from Deshaun Watson when they lost the coin toss, when he threw his head back and went, oh, man, he knew. He knew the game was over. He thought they weren't going to touch the ball. And he was right, unfortunately. The the defenses in both these games were not good. And if Tennessee is going to have a run in the playoffs, they got to tighten things up a little bit, which is weird because the defense actually played very well in the second half. So Vrabel's going to get back to the drawing board a little bit with his defense. But the offense is good. And I'll tell you what, man. Last two games having AJ Brown back, do not dismiss this. I think this is also why you're seeing these big Derrick Henry games because not just the play at Tannehill, but the mobility at Tannehill, but also having AJ Brown, who's a matchup disaster, especially in the red zone. This is a big body wide receiver. It was a fantastic catch for him. Titans offense looked great. Defense needs a lot of work. And Houston, look, it's the Deshaun Watson show. We always knew that, but we've said all along if Will Fuller can stay healthy, Will Fuller is a productive fantasy player. Well, guess what? He's been healthy so far this year, and he's putting up numbers. And it's good to see Brandon Cooks getting involved in there, too. Look, there's no doubt the last two weeks Houston's played better. But if you can't stop anybody, it puts a lot of pressure. And that's a good thing, obviously, for Deshaun Watson and company. You love it for your fantasy team. But for W's, man, it gets very, very difficult to win games if you can't stop anyone. 600 yards? No, no, no. You cannot win games giving up that kind of a total. And that's a really bad beat for people who bet on Houston because that clearly was the right side there. They played very well right to the end and then going for two and then losing like that in overtime. You got to be sick if you took Houston in that game for sure. All right, Indianapolis and Cincinnati. Boy, uh, the the Colts, I mean, maybe maybe this woke up Phillip Rivers the way that Cincinnati just busted out of the gate on them going up two touchdowns. Uh, Rivers just came back with a vengeance, threw for 371 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. They completely abandoned the run, and Rivers was just throwing to everybody, including Zach Pascal and Trey Burton. Burton scored two touchdowns in this game. It was just crazy (laughs) uh, how how the game unfolded late in the game. Now, Cincinnati's defense is another one that isn't very good, but look, the Colts' defense was horrible yesterday also. So, Mm -hmm. Got to start asking, like, I mean, maybe maybe Baltimore is the defense. I, I don't, I don't know. But either way, the Colts they pick up a win. They don't cover the spread. They would, they would just, they had to. And in fact, they could have covered had they scored a touchdown late, but they kicked a field goal. Let's look at Cincinnati here for a minute. Joe Burrow with 313 passing yards. All of his damage was the first half. He rushed for a touchdown as well. Joe Mixon was in and out of this game with an injury. 18 carries, 54 yards, two receptions, 15 yards, and a touchdown. So. You got your 12 or 13 points this day and age. That's probably not enough, but Mixon was okay. A.J. Green, out of nowhere, 
was a factor in this one. Eight receptions, 96 receiving yards, most catches, most receiving yards combined in the first five games. He had them all in one game today. So maybe he's back on the map. Who knows? Tyler Boyd, five for 54. But clearly T. Higgins has been the top target at this point for Joe Burrow. And that's probably going to be the case going forward. Six receptions, 125 receiving yards. Uh, On Cincinnati's side, Joe, my opinion of A.J. Green specifically is this. Uh, You know, I I hate to see this stuff because it's very obvious that the deadline is coming up, the trade deadline in a week or two. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm guessing he wants to get out. And this is the only way. This is his only door out is to play well. Um, So it does bother me the past few weeks to see him doing nothing. And then all of a sudden he's so he's exactly who he was in the past this past week. So hopefully he gets to a good destination. To me, he is without a doubt the most certain player to get dealt in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and look, a player that could certainly help a lot of teams. I'm sure a team like the Patriots could certainly use a weapon, right? We're talking about teams that don't have game-changing weapons. Well, I don't know if AJ Green has all that left in the tank, but at least there's a chance of it. But the other takeaway from this game, uh, I would say, is T. Higgins again and obviously Tyler Boyd. I mean, these guys, I, I we talked about starting and sitting them on Friday, and I feel like they're matchup-proof going forward. I feel like they're guys you could just leave out there every week because they're getting those opportunities, and they got those opportunities in this game. Like you said, it was nice to have a, a decent mixing game. He could have had another touchdown, but Gio Bernard vultured one from him. And I want to throw a little bit of cold water here on the Colts' performance with Phillip Rivers, only because it's the Cincinnati defense, and they are dreadful this year. You look at every stat, they are towards the bottom in everything. So, yes, it was good. Maybe it's a confidence builder, but I don't think it's something you really want to feel great about going forward. Like, all of a sudden, Philip Rivers has gotten right now. He got right this past week for a week against a terrible defense in Cincinnati. Let's see if it carries over to other teams. But, look, Jonathan Taylor is still pretty solid. Obviously, we know that. And Trey Burton, I don't know at this point, man. I mean, Trey Burton, talk about fantasy assets of past year, right, where we're trying to make Trey Burton happen. And now, now we're going to get a Trey Burton season? We'll see. But I wouldn't get too crazy about how good Phillip Rivers was in this one, too. He had a really good second half against a really bad defense. That's how I would approach this one. All right, let's go to New England where Denver pulls up the upset, one of the upsets of the year, if not the upset of the year. Drew Locke was just not good in this game. 10 for 24, 189 passing yards. They couldn't convert any third downs. He threw two interceptions. Phillip Lindsay was solid on the ground, and we'll see what happens with Gordon moving forward. But Lindsay did have 101 rushing yards. Brandon McManus kicked six field goals, and his longest one was 50 yards. So basically you got 18 fantasy points at the very least from McManus, if not more, based on the amount of yards his kicks were. So he was clearly the, the MVP of the day in that game between Denver and New England. On the New England side, essentially there was no MVP. Cam Newton, uh, you know, was a lot of really short passes. It was a very odd game, I thought, for them as, as they're just leading completely on this guy. 17 of 25, 157 passing yards. He was just constantly running. Uh, rushed for a touchdown. He was not great through the air. Two uh, uh, two. Threw two picks, also caught a ball. Uh, James White in a PPR league was solid for you because he gave you about 14 or 15 fantasy points. And Julian Edelman was questionable going into the game. And clearly when you see a stat line, you probably understand that he was probably hurt more than than he was leading on. And so, uh, look, I mean, this is, I guess, the way, Joe, that Denver's got to win games to me. They're probably one of my bottom three teams in the NFL. New England will get right. You know, they'll they'll win their nine games, eight games, maybe even ten I'm not really sure what happened in this game because I did well, I watch all the games, but in watching this, it was just very odd watching New England play. It just didn't look, I I didn't like their game plan at all. 
And the game could have been Denver scoring 40 points in this one. They just kept kicking field goals. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that things will get fixed for New England. I still don't like Denver at all. No, I don't like Denver either. But right now, you ha- can't like this performance for New England. They, the game plan wasn't good. The execution wasn't good. And when you take Julian Elman out of the factor, too, that's like that one guy that they rely on in those big spots and those third downs. They don't have much left. I mean, it was hopeful that they had a couple of good starts there from Nikhil Harry for a few weeks. But they don't have that game-changing player. They don't have Derrick Henry. They don't have Julio Jones. They don't have somebody that other defenses really fear. And this is what happens. If you come out flat and you don't execute perfectly anything, then, you know, this is the circumstance. This is what you end up with at the end of the day. I think it's very frustrating. And I would say this. I would be shocked if New England wasn't active at the trade deadline trying to acquire someone. Because let me tell you something. This is still a very winnable division here. you still got a couple games against the Jets. Uh, We'll see how they stack up against Miami again. We'll see all of this as the year goes on. But if you're the New England Patriots, you're sitting there right now, and Buffalo is a very good team. But can you beat Buffalo? Possibly. Can you be competitive in this division? I think you can. So I think it's time for them to get aggressive here in these next two weeks because what they have right now is still lacking. And that's one thing when you have Tom Brady at quarterback, but it's another thing when you have Cam Newton at quarterback. It's not the same guy. All right, coming up next, we'll review Baltimore and Philadelphia, and also, unfortunately, we'll review the Giants and Washington football team, the probably the dud of the day, I would say, in fantasy. We'll have that for you next as we roll on with Fantasy Sports Today here on Sports Grid. Stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. The Baltimore Ravens continue to look like one of the NFL's best teams, but do it in odd fashion for sure. Very similar how I called the New England Patriots odd. What in the world with the Baltimore Ravens going up on Philadelphia, looking like they're going to beat them 61 to nothing? Did the same thing against Cincinnati the week before, did crush them, but kind of going up on teams, letting them come back a little bit, sort of staying in the game. It makes you wonder a little bit uh, if they're just relying solely on that defense late in games because their offense in Baltimore has been a struggle to figure out on a week-to-week basis. Let's take a look at the Ravens here as Lamar Jackson gave you 80, 186 passing yards, two rushing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, one passing touchdown. He also had 108 rushing yards. So Jackson did come through <laughs> for you yesterday. But beyond that, it was a nothing. Gus Edwards had a touchdown, 26 yards still. Eight eight fantasy points these days is is not good in fantasy. Nick Boyle had a touchdown. Nobody played him in any league, maybe in DFS of some kind. You don't see Andrews' name here, and you don't see Mark Ingram's name, and I don't want to see Mark Ingram's name again. This has been a complete bust <laughs> on one of my fantasy teams, and, and when I say complete, I mean I'm at 99.9% bust in 2020. I, I think Ingram's had a fantastic career, and he'll probably mm-hmm. continue to play. But he is not playing a lot. I watch this game very closely. They don't have him in the game. They don't have him in the third quarter. They don't have him in the fourth quarter. They don't even have yeah, him in the Yeah, he came out line. with an injury. He came out with an injury early in this right. game. That's why you saw Edwards have so much opportunity here in this one. Well, well, fantastic. Maybe at least I'll know not to play him this week for sure. All right, let, let's look at the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz was brutal in the first half. He was on his back all day, 213 passing yards, 49 rushing yards. He threw for three touchdowns. It was all not in garbage time. They legitimately came back and mm-hmm. made the game close. 
Uh, Jalen Hurts, two carries, 23 rushing yards, one reception for three yards. We'll talk about him in a second. Miles Sanders is is probably the biggest fantasy story of the day in terms of injury because we're going to have to see what his MRI shows. Nine carries, 118 rushing yards. Travis Fulgham, six receptions, 75 yards, and a touchdown. So, Joe, with the Eagles, their season's done. They're, they're not a good team. They're not going anywhere. They uh, And I don't even know if it's about the weapons, offensively, defensively. I don't know what, what what where it's at. But when we do Hot Take Tuesday tomorrow, feel free to throw in Jalen Hurts. I think we're going to see him. I, I think he is going to play. The Eagles are going down early in every single game. I don't think Carson Wentz looks right. His completion percentage is below 50% in half the games he's playing in. I totally get it. The weapons are not there. I totally get it. I totally understand it, and it's being talked about. He doesn't have Devontae Adams. At least Aaron Rodgers has him. But Mm -hmm. that being said, I I don't know, man. I think think the time is going to come for Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to play soon. I think he's going to play. Well, he's already getting involved in the games last two weeks, so that's getting his feet wet, at least in the NFL, getting on the speed of the game under him a little bit. Um, Look, I think that you can absolutely make the excuse that he hasn't had a full complement of healthy weapons, and that is a fair one. He also hasn't had a good offensive line play. That's a fair one. But he's still not playing well on top of that, and sometimes you have to kind of overcome those things if you are a franchise quarterback. And it's a very difficult situation. I actually give the Eagles a lot of credit for getting back into this game and making it as close as they did. This division right now, here's a little stat line for you. 5-17-1. That's the collective record that's for horrible. the NFC wow. East. 5-17-1. I know you might think that's like a, a Mike Evans uh, stat line, it sounds like, right <laughs> from a day. But no, it's actually the record of the NFC East. And yes, you're probably right that the Eagles are not a good football team, but I don't think you can say that they're out of it right now. And uh, Now, if Miles Sanders comes back seriously hurt after that big 74-yard run, that's different. Because if you don't have him now, I think that really is a huge knock because I don't know if you can come back from that. I think it's fascinating to see Travis Fulgham have another good game. This is three in a row now for him. I did not give him any chance in this game to be productive, and he still caught a touchdown on this one. It was a great job by coming back here, and they were so flat in the first half of this game. At least they responded to the bell in the second half and showed you something. And on the flip side, can we talk about the Ravens a second too? Because not only no Andrews on that stat line, no Hollywood Brown either. Lamar's like a one-man show, but he needs a little help from his friends. This is getting frustrating. Is there a team that's won more games that you have less of a good feeling about than the Baltimore Ravens right now, Craig? Because it kind of feels like every week we look up and the Ravens get another W, and we kind of low, hmm, kind of their lackluster win for the Baltimore Ravens. Don't you feel like they're kind of just going through the motions a little bit? Maybe that is the case, but maybe it's because they are that good. That that, I mean, that could be the case, too. They just go up so big. And rely on their defense, and this time the defense failed them a little bit in the second half, but I I really am perplexed. I I can't figure them out. I can figure out Mark Ingram and just say that he's not what he was. Those things are easy to do, but but beyond that, they, they have these big leads and just sort of shut down, and they end up winning every game. Now, that's not going to happen all season. But at the end of the year, if you ask me, do the Ravens win 12 games, win a playoff game? Yes. Maybe that's not enough for some people. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that that's still going to happen. It's just a matter of getting to the Super Bowl. And, of course, they fell short to Tennessee last year. But uh, do I think Tennessee is better than Baltimore? Um, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe there's a chance of that. But I I still wouldn't discount them moving forward. Now, we, we can't discount this game. I wish we could. Giants and Washington. This game was just a dog. I, this was the game I watched least 
on Sunday. Daniel Jones, 12 of 19, 112 passing yards, 74 rushing yards. They played ultra conservative just to squeak a win out, which they did and did not cover, by the way. Devonta Freeman, 18 carries, 61 yards. Darius Slayton, two receptions, 41 yards and a touchdown. Washington blew a wonderful opportunity in this game yes. to really have a chance and now I don't think they do. Kyle Allen, 31 of 42, 280 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interceptions. I mean, look at the math there. 31 completions for only 280 yards. It was just dink and dunk all day. McKissick was the one who got mostly involved. Gibson was not. Uh, McLaurin, 14 fantasy points. Logan Thomas scored a touchdown here. I really have not much more to add on this game. It, it, the game was terrible. <laughs> I watched five minutes of it. It was just it, it was a game I just went by a lot on Sunday. That's it. Mm. Look, from a fantasy perspective, I think you can take away from at least this season with the Giants. And it was something that started to build last year is the Darius Slayton connection. Darius Slayton is a guy that he has real big time touchdown equity on a weekly basis. Even if the Giants offense isn't going well, it seems like Darius Slayton finds a way to catch a touchdown almost every week. And he did it last year, too. And everybody kept saying, ah, well, you know, it's it's not something you really rely on or worry about. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's a rookie. If he's having that good of a season out of his rookie season with some of the problems that the Giants were having and he could build on that, look, at least that's a guy you feel good about. The Freeman game, uh, this is frustrating because I feel like we were trying to have a really good Devonta Freeman game. I gave him a couple weeks to kind of get the playbook under him, get, you know, acquainted with the offense. And this was like right in the middle where you look at it and go, oh, 17 for what was it, 68, I think, or something like that. Oh, it's like, well, do I feel good about starting him now? Do I not? If he had the touchdown, you'd feel really good about it. You'd say, okay, there you go. There's my 12 points. Okay, double digits. We're working with something. I don't know. I'm still basically looking at Devontae Freeman as a bus pickup right now. I don't think you could look at it any otherwise. And you're right. Washington had an opportunity to win this football game. They came up short. If they had, they are a team that is right in the thick of it because this division is just so damn bad. But look, this was not an entertaining game. It was not a good fantasy game. This was kind of miserable, but uh, look, I mean, I guess if you're the Giants, right, you feel good. You got a victory. It's more victories than the Jets have. Yeah, I figured the Giants, great team against the spread, and then when they win, they don't cover. Go figure that one. Okay, so Detroit <laughs> Detroit is, is suckering me back in a little bit after the way that they played yesterday, but I'm going to need to see back-to-back -back games of them before I'm going to buy back in. That's for sure. But look, they, they dominated this game from start to finish. This was one of the super contest games that we had, so I watched this closely. Stafford, 19 of 31, 223 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. He wasn't great, but DeAndre Swift was, and maybe this is the turning point for him because he had 116 rushing yards and scored two touchdowns. I, I, I hope for him that this is the beginning because he was an absolute beast in college. And, and look, Adrian Peterson is there. He's been a mentor to other players before. He also got in the, in the end zone early. It, it kind of hurt Stafford's day. They just kept get, getting the ball near the goal line on penalties and just running it in. Galladay had four receptions, 105 receiving yards. He would have had another long touchdown, but the receiver, mm -hmm. uh, the defender grabbed him, and then he couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't get to it. And Hawkinson had a, had a touchdown in this game, sure. So uh, Lions are definitely on the upswing, and as we move toward the Jacksonville Jaguars, they are now becoming what a lot of people thought they were at the beginning of the season. And I don't think anybody would hold them accountable for that. They don't have a lot of talent. They have no talent on defense at all. And on offense, it's just Minshew running around hoping for the best. He threw for two touchdowns, actually had a 20-point fantasy day, so can't complain with that. Rushed for one as well. James Robinson, a quiet day on the ground. Teams are now focused in on him, as they should be. He's been their number one weapon, but now it's getting a lot harder. Teams are stacking the box, and he ended up getting about 10 fantasy points. Keelan Cole had the big game for them, no doubt. Six receptions, 143 yards. Maybe this is going to be a thing moving forward. And DJ Shark ended up having... 
Uh, 10, 11, uh, I believe 11 fantasy points, it looks like. 11 and a half fantasy points. So, okay day, okay day for him. But in this day and age of fantasy football, 11 fantasy points is not getting it done, not even coming close. So, uh, look, I, Joe, I'm, I can't buy in on the Lions until I see this a couple of games in a row. They've teased me the last couple of years. They teased me this year. They've had leads. They've blown leads. But this was the first time that I've seen the Lions play a game, and it sounds cliche, it is cliche, for four quarters. They were attacking Jacksonville in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and I have not seen that before. So that's the only reason why I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was in the past. Every game I watch them, it seems like they just lay down in the second half, start handing the ball off. They were not doing that. Stafford was throwing the ball more in the second half. At the point they were up 24, that was it in the fourth quarter. They knew Jacksonville wasn't coming back. But the Jaguars did go for it on fourth down two different times, fourth and two, fourth and five. They didn't get it. Maybe it would have been a different game. So Swift, I guess, is the one main takeaway here. And if you have him in a dynasty league, I think that next year you're going to be loving life. I think he's going to be a star. Well, you might be loving the second half this year. And before we get to Swift, What's the difference between the last two weeks and obviously the first few weeks of the season for the Detroit Lions? Healthy Kenny Galladay. That's what allows them to keep attacking a little bit. If you don't have Kenny Galladay, Jones and the collection of guys like Amendola, that's not enough to really attack teams and really push the ball downfield. You need Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay is a game-changing kind of player, and I think that is the difference of what the Detroit Lions that you've seen against New Orleans and the Detroit Lions you saw this past week against Jacksonville. Now it is just Jacksonville. So you take it with a grain of salt because you're supposed to be Jacksonville. They're not a very good team and certainly not a good defensive team either. But DeAndre Swift is one of these guys that if you didn't buy a low on him, he was one of our made trade targets here on Fantasy Sports today a couple weeks ago because it was basically rock bottom. We said take a shot on him, right? And if you missed out, the good news is on FanDuel, that price is probably not going to catch up to him right away because Peterson's still there too. But this is a guy I think you start looking at these matchups real carefully in Daily Fantasy now because he's kind of like Ronald Jones of last week, right? He's about 5,800. Swift's going to be somewhere in that same salary plateau. And I think he can have a big return because he is catching the football. He does have touchdown upside. He's starting to get more opportunities across the board. So he could basically be... Kind of like last year's Miles Sanders, a guy that if you acquired him or can still acquire him possibly, which I doubt now, he is going to give you at least a chance to be really competitive as you get into the second half of the year and into the playoffs too. But look, a good win for Detroit, a big win for Detroit because you need to win the games that you can win on your schedule, and this was certainly one of them. But to me, it's all about Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay's on the field. Detroit has a better shot to, like you said, continue to play four quarters and attack and move the football downfield. Otherwise, they became very one-dimensional in those games in the second half because they couldn't do that. Yeah, well, look, let's also be honest. Swift dropped the touchdown, <clears throat> excuse me, in the first game. They should be 3-2. Sure and two. They shouldn't be 2-3. Sure uh, they right. also have the least amount of uh, home games played in the NFL this season with two because they have a bye week. So they're 2-3. Mm-hmm. and three. Their win total was seven on the season. It is not insurmountable for them to get to eight wins, but as soon as you start feeling good about this team, they disappoint you. So we'll check back in one week from today and see where they're at. And maybe maybe this is the season where the Lions actually do overachieve a little bit, and it may be not even be a subject of them because of the way Minnesota has played. And we'll get to them coming up in just a little bit. Our fantasy mm-hmm. trivia segment is coming up next. And then we'll have our headlines for today, which would include, of course, a preview of the Monday Night Football game and really the most important news in fantasy, which is Miles Sanders' MRI. If we get an update on that, we'll give it to you. Don't go away. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We've got two Monday Night Football games coming up. We'll preview those in about five minutes from now. Make sure you stay on the grid if you're watching us on demand on our YouTube channel. Set us up as a playlist, and you can just watch each show consecutively. We usually post them one hour at a time. Let's get to some fantasy trivia, Joe. And as we end the first hour, we're focused in on running backs today. So what do we got? Well, we're focusing on running backs because of that huge day from Derrick Henry. And maybe this is a gimme question. Maybe it's not. We'll find out in a second. Who has the record for most rushing yards in a single game in the NFL? It's changed a lot over a few years, but, or has it? Hmm, let's take a look. Is it A, Walter Payton, the record holder? Is it B, Adrian Peterson, or C, Jamal Lewis? Who is the record holder for most rushing yards in a game in NFL history, Craig? So I, I believe it is Jamal Lewis, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe Corey Dillon is second. Am I right with that? Both things? Corey Dillon is close. You are almost right. I would have said Jamal Lewis, too. Jamal Lewis was until Adrian Peterson broke it in 2007 by one single yard. Hmm. By the way, the number two guy it was Jamal Lewis. The number three, Jerome Harrison. Remember Jerome Harrison, that big game he I had? Do. Oh, my God. Yeah. The Cleveland Browns. Fourth was Corey Dillon with 278. Okay. So he had 278 for Dillon. 286 for Jerome Harrison, 295 for Jamal Lewis, and 296 for AP. So one single yard. But I remember Jamal Lewis. I remember having him in that game in fantasy, in my fantasy league, and just uh, being overwhelmed. Sharing that team with a friend of mine, we were just going crazy. And he happened to be a big Steelers fan, so he was very torn because he hates (laughs) the Ravens just inherently, but was so happy that day that we had Jamal Lewis. (laughs) <laughs> yeah look jamal lewis there are some people who feel like he belongs in the pro football hall of fame and you look at his numbers in a short span and and they're really untouchable he was he didn't catch the ball a lot out of the backfield he was more or less just a running back and sometimes even for odd reasons they would take him out near the goal line too even though he could score touchdowns but he was a great fantasy back for many years and, and definitely worth mentioning on the show and adrian peterson there you go number one all time Okay, we have our headlines coming up next, and we'll go over everything happening in fantasy football. Also, we'll hear from Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers on what this series was like and what the Rays series may be like. We'll touch on that next here on Fantasy Sports Today, so make sure you stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 